Hello, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a very fun and wide-ranging conversation with Kate Wagner. You probably know Kate from the viral blog that she created in 2016 called McMansion Hell, where she roasts the world's ugliest houses while also educating her audience about architecture, urban planning, environmentalism, and history. Kate's also written about architecture and design for a variety of publications, including Curbed, 99% Invisible, The Atlantic, and Architectural Digest. In this episode, Kate and I talk about how she got interested in design and why she started McMansion Hell, the evolution of her writing, finding new forms of architectural discourse, and using humor to help people understand their own environments and the buildings around them. McMansion Hell started around the same time as Scratching the Surface, and I've always been a fan of Kate's and and the site. Essentially, since it launched, in so many ways, I feel like we're interested in similar themes, and I was really excited to finally get her on the podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I like to think of as the director's commentary track for the podcast. Each month, I share additional content, episode previews, and short essays related to the themes of the podcast. These memberships really help keep scratching the surface going, and I just really appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Kate Wagner. I was thinking we should start with McMansion Hell and kind of set that up. And then I think that conversation can be a kind of platform to talk about some other things that I was interested in talking to you about. And so yeah. let's let's just start with like the background of, of of the site. Where where did the idea well well let's let's go back even further. Can you just for listeners who might not know what McMansion Hell is, can you kind of just give your pitch of what the site is and what the site does and then a little bit about where where you even had the idea or or how the site got started okay so mcmansion hell is a regularly published blog that aims to teach people about architecture and design and encourage them to look at their built environment through a critical eye uh, through taking down places that we love to hate the most, most uh, meaning the exer- the American exurbs and, of course, you know, McMansions, <laughs> yeah. the most loathed of houses. Uh, so I, and of course, so the blog works in two ways. The first is there are uh, regularly published house roasts where I kind of take down individual houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is going to be Vermont, a house in Vermont. I'm nice. almost to the end of the 50 states, and then we're going to do, be doing other things. Oh, nice. Uh, other, other categories. So uh, it's actually taking me surprisingly a long time to get through them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, I mean, it's like it's kind of like uh, the Sufjan Stevens album, state album project. And I think he did two states and then just gave up. So you've done some, a, a yeah. better job. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a little better than Sufjan. <laughs> Yeah, when I first started the blog, it was I published like twice a week, very regularly, and I, I, the, it's just gotten a lot more involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the posts are a lot longer, um, the essays require more research. Uh, it's just, it's. I think I, I've sort of switched more to a quality over quantity. Yeah, nice mo- model as the blog has kind of aged into it's. It's now two years old, um, going into its third year. Um, and so I, I got the idea for the blog in the summer between my uh, last year of college and first year of grad school. Okay. And the idea came from uh, looking I, – I have had Tumblr for a really long time, just as mm-hmm. basically a, an image aggregator. I use Tumblr to look at, like, old pictures, right. like pictures from, like, old design books, uh, old advertisements, like that kind of stuff. Just like it's, it's just an endless scrolling uh, field of good-looking things. Right, yeah. Uh, so I noticed, well, there, there were these blogs like before, right. That were, one was ugly, ugly Belgian houses, which has been around for years now. And oh, it's, yeah. it's just, it's just a picture of like the house and it's, uh, with some like funny, like a single funny comment. And then, uh, like that, like terrible real estate photos was another one that was like right. a really strong blog for a long time, which just like, like real estate photos from hell essentially. So there were these blogs about, you know, kind of dancing around these topics uh, they weren't necessarily as involved as McMansion Hell, which has really long posts. 
uh, long as far as is in terms of like actual size on the Tumblr dashboard, not necessarily. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, why isn't there an ugly house blog for American houses, which are arguably like the ugliest houses in the world? Uh, and why isn't it having a higher purpose of like kind of making uh, architectural education a little bit easier? Like we can teach people to at least avoid the bad before, you know, teaching them to design the good. Right. Uh, so I started the blog and I had no idea it was going to go viral. It's just like a nobody like getting ready to go to graduate school. And I, it, it went viral pretty soon after I, I did a post about like what makes expansions bad architecture. Mm-hmm. And that post got shared like a, a, a jillion times. It was really bizarre. Like I had 15 followers and then I had 1500 and then it was 15,000 and just kept going and going and going. And when, your blog goes viral as like an act of God. You're not really prepared for that. Yeah, I mean, so, so I felt like I had to like get smart really quick on like. <laughs> yeah, I, I why I want to talk more about the format of the blog posts themselves and kind of the format of um of the posts, but I, I want to come back to that in a second because I have two other questions based on what you said because it does. You talking about it kind of going viral literally overnight is my experience of hearing about you and hearing about the site and that all of a sudden, one day, you were everywhere. Uh, And I remember, and I was in the middle of a project thinking about criticism, and suddenly I had like five people sending me your blog saying, you need to include this. What, What was it? Like, why do you think that happened what like do, were you catching a moment was was it did, did it get picked up somewhere and then that kind of sent it out like can you talk about that a little bit i frankly don't know what happened um, <laughs> okay all right i've been actually trying to figure it out for uh for a while the uh i think part of it was you know tumblr like is it, at first it was only a tumblr it wasn't like it's still based on tumblr the blog but it right. wasn't like mcmansionhell.com it was just a mcmansionhell.tumblr.com right and i think what it was was just some tumblr power user reblogged it and like a huge tumblr account reblogged it or something and then yeah. that's how it took off that's the only way i can conceive of it happening because immediately i got uh, it just have it literally happened overnight. Uh, like the next morning, I got emails being like, like I got a billion emails about about it. I had to create like a new email address and everything. It was so wild. It was really, 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 really strange. How much time? Um, how much time did you spend on those first, like that first post that went viral? That was, was actually a really meticulous post. That post okay. took me like, like a couple days to write. Uh, and you know, I've always just been writing. You know, I've been writing about, you know, buildings or about material culture, kind of just like personally, just like kind of putting my thoughts out there for about 10 years now. Okay. And that was, was my just next the question. first time anybody like, well, this is the first time I published it anywhere that wasn't like just like on my computer. Like <laughs> okay. this is the first time I put anything out in the world. But this wasn't even my first blog. My first blog was devoted to the cover art of my classical record collection. Oh, nice. Um, which uh, I really... That was a really fun project that I had going for a while. That wasn't popular because, but uh, it was just like what it was in the, in a vein of blogs that were just like album cover blogs. Right, right. Uh, they're just pictures of album covers, and I really liked. Uh, there's some just really great art out there for for yeah. vinyl records. I started collecting them because of the art, and so that was my first blog. And then, but this, so I I was used to like doing these kinds of personal projects before, but this was the first one that was really like took off in a way that was kind of uh, frightening. Yeah. Um, so I, I was going to ask, you know, if you, how, how you started writing or if you had, a, you know, your interest in architecture and, and kind of material stuff. So I'd like to talk about that, but, did, but also did you, you know, did you have a sense that this was a good idea? You know, that you, I thinking this is something that I'm going to put on Tumblr, that this was different than those other things you had written that were kind of just for yourself. Um, I kind of, I didn't anticipate, I didn't write the blog with the purpose of getting lots of attention. It was just a pet project of mine. Okay. Um, it was just something I did for my own enjoyment. And then it, I didn't, I really didn't expect it to take off in the way that it did. In fact, like I still have whiplash thinking about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bet. It's really strange. I, I can't even describe to you how strange it is. So the, 
but I, you know, I've been writing, you know, for a really long time. Like I started writing at a really young age, not necessarily about fiction, about buildings. I started writing like poetry and fiction as, okay. as a really young child and did uh, writing competitions in high school for fiction. I did National Novel Writing Month when I was 15. Oh, nice. And and, and finished. I did, uh, I, did I think, 80,000 words. Oh, yeah. I uh, always, I, I remember being... Yeah, probably around 15 too and trying to do it and I think I got like three days in and just just stopped so see the key is to have no friends no social life and like no romantic prospects well that, I, I that was me too I still couldn't do it also like having like super like ADHD hyper focus issues is okay. like very yeah. very helpful for <laughs> right. NaNoWriMo right it's right. like don't do your homework don't do anything like don't even eat like take like Eat scarf down your dinner in like three minutes. You have to get back to doing it. Oh, okay, just like always doing it. Right. Um. So that was uh that was fun, and then uh, I stopped writing fiction for a while. I started writing essays. I was always writing essays. I started writing essays about architecture, like in high school, I think. Okay. Um, what was it about? How did you get interested in architecture, or just kind of design in general? Where'd that interest come in? That's kind of funny. I can't really remember a time when it wasn't when design, especially, wasn't interesting. Uh, I was a musician first. Uh, oh, I started okay. playing the violin at the age of four. And so, like, the arts all kind of, like, are just, like, this one big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to, like, participate in one art without getting exposed to other ones. Um, but also, I mean, I was always interested in, like, the landscape, like, buildings, like, especially houses. Right. I, I was, you know, I remember being, like, nine years old or something, and my nose, like, pressed to the glass at the, on the school bus, like, looking at every house that went by. Oh, yeah. And we were the first kids to get on the bus and the last the last kids to get off. Right, so, so, that was, nice uh, route. so you got to look at houses for a really long time. And I would sit in like the single seat in the back of the bus so no one would talk to me so I could just look at the houses. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I was just always was interested in, in buildings and I found them like really beautiful and fascinating. Even especially like ordinary buildings because where I was from, which is like rural North Carolina, that's all you have to look at. Like you don't get access to like Frank Lloyd Wright. I didn't see a Frank Lloyd Wright building until I was twenty one or twenty two. Mm. Um so it was it was a matter like architecture was something that happened like in some place that you traveled to. Right. Uh that's kind of my uh that was kind of like my understanding of it for a long time. Uh, but what's funny is, is I started getting really intensely into it when I started high school. Okay. Um, which is about 10 years ago. Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, next year it'll be 10 years. 10 years uh, since you graduated? No, 10 years since I started since high school. Since you started high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I started writing my first essays about architecture in 2009, 2010, uh, about, uh, brutalist architecture and preservation. Because uh, at that time, that was when that was kind of like the heat of the 2009 through like 2011 was like the heat of like the Paul Rudolph Goshen government yep. complex yep. Uh, preservation battle, which was like the first thing I ever wrote about architecture. And I wrote about architecture a lot for my school essays. And so when I was because I grew up in such a rural place, like the public library didn't really have that many books about architecture. My high school had like 10 books about architecture, uh, which, all of which I read. Most of them were just like big books about modern architecture, so that's sort of what I got into first. And then I got a library card at the community college, and that's when I started really like doing deep, deep cut reading. Uh, actually, like mo I kind of like cut my teeth reading about architecture by looking at Charles Jenks' books. Oh yeah. Uh, like though he did like a ton of monographs for Rizzoli in the 1980s and 1990s, 1970s all the way through the 90s. He did like so many like really fun monographs. They're just like big books with like yeah. big pictures of architecture. In them. And there's this one called architecture today that I had out checked out like forever. And I really should get a copy of it. That's just like great pictures of like late modern and early postmodern architecture, which is what I was really interested in and still am. I mean, that's still like the period that like the sixties and seventies, right. like experimental architecture right. is still the, 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 the kind of like chunk that I, know the most about care the most about and read the most about um that's really like my bread and butter especially the 70s yeah like the 60s through the 80s essentially were really like my uh that's that's my chunk of history that <laughs> i i have focused on pretty much yeah like it, academically too and my master's thesis covers that period yeah um, it's it's so it's so funny to hear you talk about this because our 
I feel like our childhoods were actually very similar. I think I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you are, but I I also grew up in a kind of suburban area, and I've told this, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, I grew up in a suburban area. I had never met a graphic designer, which is what I studied, mm-hmm. um, but always had an interest in architecture and design from a very young age. I was just kind of fascinated by this stuff, but it didn't it didn't crystallize for me that this was a thing I could do with my life or that these things that I liked all had a word or a term to, to talk about them design. Like these were not words that were in my vocabulary or in my world growing up and getting online and discovering blogs and, and, uh, and websites that were talking about this stuff completely kind of opened this up to me. And then, all of the things I'm interested in now, just like you were saying, I can trace back to kind of finding those online and then in books at the library from 15 years ago. Uh, what was, how did, can you talk a little bit about kind of that world a little bit for you and how, how, this is going to sound like a weird question. I can't think of a better way to, to ask it, but that these houses that you were kind of looking at through the bus weren't just buildings, weren't just houses, but were architecture. And that this was a thing that you could study and think about and write about. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I think that um, for me, what was really kind of transformative was I, I always, you know, all I had to look at really was like houses and like, you know, standard commercial architecture mm-hmm. growing up. And like all the books about architecture were about architecture that was like big, important architecture that happens in like big, right. important places. <laughs> and so what actually really changed that perspective for me was, I know timely, but Robert Venturi um, mm. and Denise Scott Brown, uh, like when I read Learning from Las Vegas, I think in when I was like maybe 15 or so, um, that really like changed my perspective on architecture a lot that like, yeah, actually like what is happening around me is considered, could be considered architecture too. And that like, I shouldn't feel like what my interest in it is any lesser than, and or any less important than my interest in like big architecture that happens other places. Right. That, and that, and you know, not only that, but like a crusade that says that, you know, architecture, the big a architecture in other places could do well to learn from, you know, the everyday landscape and like, you know, common architecture. Mm-hmm. And that was a really important shift for me because it made me realize that like the landscapes that I found important were valid and right. were worth writing about. And that's architecture too. And I think that if, if I didn't make that connection, if I didn't have that encouragement from, from that book, uh, and of course other books too, uh, especially like, uh, John Brinkerhoff Jackson, the landscape writer, like his books were really influential as well. Mm. And Vincent Scully too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I didn't have that encouragement, I think, or like that made that connection, then I don't think that I would have be who I am right. and have done what I've done. I mean, it's very much comes from that, like learning from Las Vegas mindset. Uh, politically, there's like a kind of large differences between me and, and the <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, um, but definitely that really, and I still love that book. Even if there are parts I disagree with, I still like, I, every time I, I've cracked it open a lot over the years and, Every time I, you know, I open it, I find something new to laugh at and to, to like, there's, they're so witty. Yeah. There's so many witty things yeah, in, in yeah. there. There's so, so much to enjoy. I, um, so that was kind of a, a big, a big thing for me. And then writing, you know, I always sort of like when you're, when you write, right. Um, writing was just something that I did it. Like I, I didn't even think about, I like, you know, entered competitions and stuff because I liked writing. Right. It was, it was, it was enjoyable for me and I did it quite often. And so it was just something that I did. I didn't even think about making a career out of it. I started writing music and wanted to, and went to school for that. Uh, but I wanted to be an architect at one point was, but was discouraged, uh, by a lot of people essentially because, uh, on pretty much sexist lines. Oh, Um, interesting. Okay. Cause I was, I, I mean, I, it makes sense now that you say that, but you don't often hear being discouraged to be an architect but then encouraged to be to go into music well i was doing music my whole life okay like since i was like a really little kid my parents didn't necessarily discourage me from being an architect but they thought it was a phase Mm. um i think that they uh you know i 
like I of all the like myriad hobbies that I had, I was the most accomplished in playing music. Right. And so like for, in your like 17 year old brain, you're just like, well, I'll just go to school for what I'm good at. Uh, yeah. So I did. And I think that, you know, I don't regret going to music school. In fact, I think that like music school is responsible for the sort of sense of discipline and, and mm-hmm. uh, intellectual curiosity that that I have. I think definitely music school is like a very, uh, I think similar experience to other arts, the other arts in the, in the way that you like, you are basically like naked and on display at all times. Right. 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 Uh, you have to like, you, I wouldn't be able to, um, like do any kind of public speaking. I wouldn't be able to, um, like kind of have a public face if I didn't go to music school. Cause that's a oh, big part of it. And so and while, while you were studying music, were you also still interested in architecture and writing about oh, yeah. arch- like Actually, were all these things happening so at once many, i knew so many pieces after like oh, buildings nice. or about yeah. like or architecture or something really like uh, buildings were like a really big inspiration for uh, a lot of the the music that i wrote trying to find some way to like codify architectural form into musical form which was which is kind of silly um but at the same time it was like an interesting like creative exercise also like I spent oh, immediately in my music history studies. Um, I wrote a lot about architecture and the influence of architecture mm-hmm. on like the development of music, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. how I got into architectural acoustics, actually, uh, mm-hmm. which I went to graduate school for. I was like, right. well, I like buildings, I like music. Let's mix those two things together. Um, and I, I, when I was in music school, I was a recording engineer and was a um, was uh, doing more sort of like engineering things. At one point, I went to go work at a, a speaker company, and oh, so I, I kind of that's how I made the transition from one of the, one world to another. Um, but I wanted to work primarily in architectural acoustics rather than like other uh, sort of fields of acoustics. And so that was so, like that was like a conscious yeah. decision to kind of start to bring architecture back in. You you wanted that to be a part of your life in some way. Yeah, it never stopped being a part of my life because when I was in school, I was always reading about it. I didn't really have time to write as much as I did uh, in high school, of course. Right. Uh, I had papers and other important things to write, but I got into other facets of um, like studying like the built environment through like the sort of like acoustic lens. Like sound studies, for example, was a really there was a class I took on music on the environment in the environment, which was like a really, which I think I, I wrote about acoustics for that too. Um, and there's there were all kinds of lenses to like interface you know architecture and music throughout my my degree and it was always like a connection that I sort of made between two fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always trying to kind of like find parallels in architectural and music history in like the 20th century and also like finding ways to integrate things that you love in like your academic studies is I think an under under suggested. Uh, like, yeah. you know, you have to, like, somehow, like, give up your life to focus on, like, this one, like, thing. And I that's, I think the hyper-specificity of academia is, like, just generally not conducive to, like, having bigger ideas. So, I mean, uh, this, this is interesting to me, though, because so much of this podcast is kind of about that, that idea in that design can be a lot of different things and can incorporate a lot of different things. And that's why some of my favorite... Because I'm I'm a graphic designer who who went to both undergrad and graduate school studying design, but also has all of these other interests and things that I'm c- trying to kind of incorporate into my work. And so some of my favorite interviews on the podcast are the people that didn't come through the design system, but kind of came to design in some different way. And so so I totally kind of you know understand what you're talking about. Did you did you have that? I, I, I want to kind of come back to the, the kind of site blowing up and getting really big. And did you did you get that kind of pushback of who is this person? What is what does she know? Um, I think there was there's always some of that. And I, I think a lot of it is because I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that because I mean, unfortunately, that's still a thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that though, I definitely will say that being a design writer is like definitely less sexist than like the like classical like the composition world and mm. it's definitely less sexist than like recording engineering um okay like architectural acoustics is a little egalitarian even though it's mostly men like there's just like a generally like better healthier like 
uh, attitude towards <laughs> yeah. like everything and architectural acoustics versus like anything having to do with like speakers, microphones or, or music, mm-hmm. which is just like overrun by like bros essentially. Um, I think that uh, there's always sort of been some of that people being like, Oh really? I can't believe you didn't go to, and it's like kind of patronizing. Right. Uh, but also, you know, I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome. I think anyone who doesn't is lying. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I kind of just made peace with it. If I was like really dumb and like really didn't get it, like I wouldn't have made it this far and I wouldn't have been writing the things that I have <laughs> for the people I've been writing for. Right. I mean, it's, it's all, it can't all just be like an accident at this point. It's been going on for so long that like, if it, the charade, if it was a charade, has now just become like a like a legitimized thing. <laughs> right. So well, it's like it doesn't matter. Like you know, if at the beginning you know there was some skepticism or whatever. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think th- I'll. Uh, yeah, something I'm really interested in. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you're starting to you're you're like getting into the stuff that I really love, <laughs> and something that I really think about a lot is how is is two things. How can you? In regards to architecture and design criticism, how can you bring in more people into that conversation, both as readers and then also as creators? And I think you and your site do both of those things. And I think some of that is through kind of the invention of the form and kind of playing with how you talk about these things. I think the way you talk about them and kind of the it's written in a very kind of accessible, playful, kind of funny way do you but it's also it also is so clearly so researched and that you know what you're talking about do you think about that when you're kind of working on these these pieces about how you are kind of subverting the form that is expected in architecture discourse but you know you're kind of talking to those people but also bringing in new people who maybe haven't read about architecture before um, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't really like think so much about subverting the form of like architecture discourse. Like that's okay. not really like my purpose. If I've done that, like that's kind of neat. <laughs> um, and lots of people have mentioned that, that like I've subverted the form. I'm like, I, I find it, I'm highly skeptical that drawing arrows on pictures and adding text is subverting any kind of form. But I think that, well, I think, I think, a, I mean, I don't think it's like that. And, and, you know, I, and I'm I not. But I know what you're saying. It's just yeah. like, but people like people like when they say talk about it, they focus on like the digital aspect of it, mm. like that this is like criticism from like a digital native or whatever. And I don't uh, think that that's really the point. Like right. I think yeah, that no, the point is that like, and also I wasn't the first person to write about architecture for everyone. I definitely right. think that like Ada Louise Huxtable made like huge strides in like and like bringing architecture, like the big world of architecture, to like everyday people's front stoop. I think that for me. Um, when I try to write, uh, I can only, you know, I, this is a little weird, but I definitely feel like I don't think about it as like trying to connect with the every man because like I was the every man mm-hmm. at one, I was like never in architectural academia. Uh, I was never in like design, uh, like the sort of like hegemonic, like design academic professional kind yeah. of world. So I've always been writing from the outside, so it doesn't feel like I'm writing for the outside because I've always been there. Oh, I see. Um, I've yeah. always sort of been outside of the – and now that I'm getting sort of brought inside, like it doesn't really change that because, um, you know, I don't live in New York City and I can like escape design world whenever I want. Um, right. But I think that for me, you know, I just write for people – like I don't have a lot of friends who are like into architecture design – uh, that live near me. I kind of just write for people that I know and that I care about. Mm. Like my mom, for example, who loves houses, loves HGTV. You know, nice. like how can we bring those people in to the to the discussion and, and empower them to have a critical eye? I think that everybody, I, I firmly believe in education, like a very universal education and architecture is not included in pretty much any like real curriculum. Yeah. For, unless you go to like some super like elite private school or something. And so I think that you know, I definitely believe that everyone deserves and has to, to know more about their built environment. I mean, we go through life every day looking at buildings and yeah. interfacing with them in some way. And I think fostering inter- the intellectual curiosity to be able to to kind of think about that and like feel like we are. I mean, there's so I definitely think that there is like a kind of pervasiveness of the idea that if you don't go to school for something like you're dumb at it and you can't like you mm-hmm. can't interact with it or anything like that. 
I think that, you know, you don't need to go get like an expensive architecture education to think about architecture. Uh, and I think right. it's, uh, it's unfair to expect that of people. And I think it's, I think there, we have to encourage people where they're at. And I think we have to do that by, you know, just being honest. Like that's all it is, is, you know, people talk about like down to earth frankness or whatever, but it's just being honest. Mm -hmm. It's just saying like, look, this is the way things are. Like, this is why they are the way they are. This is how they could be better. Um, and if that means like pointing out, you know, things that are bad, it's much easier to notice like flaws. That's what it's so much easier to notice flaws. That's why the internet is so mean. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's much easier to notice flaws than things that we like. And so I think that like using that as like a stepping off point is like, I, it's both cathartic, I think, because it's really fun to take your wrath out on like ugly houses. Right. Uh, like it's just like, cause it's, it's just like a really fun punching bag. I think it's just like this house is so ugly and I hate it so much. And it feels good. It feels good to be like, I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, you know, like humor is definitely something that's underemployed in design writing. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of sad. I think humor is a great way to educate people. I've always found architecture inherently funny. Um, I <laughs> definitely think that there are lots of gaffes in architecture. And I got, I think I got that a lot from like reading the Venturis and, and Charles Jenks, especially who points out like a lot of like the humor and like ridiculousness mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. in architecture. And like the playful, like that kind of postmodern mindset of like playfulness and irony, I think is like very integral to, to the way that I think. Yeah. And I think that uh, encouraging, I mean, everyone likes to laugh. And I think that, you know, laughing at something like makes the world better. Yeah, yeah. And if we get people to laugh about like the ugly buildings and stuff, like, you know, it'll be, it's a kind of a powerful force. How do you, um, how do you move from, this is a big question, I apologize, but how do you, how do you go from laughing to how, how do you make sure that that you don't just stop at laughing but you do move to educating and informing you know what i mean like how do you blend yeah, those yeah. together how do you think about that uh i think that you know my favorite teachers were funny <laughs> right yeah, uh, yeah so i think that i don't know if it's like a spoonful of medicine kind of thing but i i definitely think that like you know, just being affable and open and, and good heart and like, you know, uh, warm, warm hearted and, you know, nice and like mm. just being these like this, this kind of like, you know, humorous force, I think invites people in to the discussion. Right. It's like, and it's okay, not well, just... I'm, I, came, I came here to laugh and I got an education. You know, right. and it's not I just... think that like if you just like sit, sit down like a lecturer and be like, OK, this is why I like. Yeah. Modern architecture was so important, like finger wag. When not just like poking fun at like some of the ridiculousness right. that happened in modern architecture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely think that there's, you know, like architecture, I think, especially suffers from being self serious. Mm -hmm. And I think that it could, I mean, that's kind of like a lot of the critique of, you know, in learning from Las Vegas, especially, is like, yeah, architecture is so self serious. And, and meanwhile, the rest of the world is just like kind of moved on and is, is, you know, embracing like these like really like kitschy and silly things. And I think that 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 never really stopped. I think that that dichotomy is still there. I think that architecture, like big capital A architecture mm -hmm. is still super self-serious, is still like imbued with like this like, very serious like rhetoric yeah. of, you know, designing the world, being the master builder. Like it's a very like heroic yeah. narrative whatever and so it doesn't take lightly to being like you know punched down at or whatever or punched up at really right and that's exactly uh, what I, think, I was talking about that like that's exactly what i was thinking about when i was talking about kind of the way you subverted the form is that i think you do i i sense that in your writing is that you are kind of pushing up against that seriousness and saying like we can lighten up a little bit like this can be funny we can laugh at this and i think that's that's there's something kind of radical about that honestly i think that that also invites people in because yeah. like once they see that architecture isn't just like this impenetrable wall of seriousness then they can like get involved right how has how has that how have you taken the kind of ethos of mcmansion hell and you know now you've written for all these other publications not just about these big houses anymore how how do you take that kind of mindset and start writing for other publications or about other things is this uh is this kind of just naturally how you think about these things or is it, are people coming to you saying will you write about this thing and in your voice kind of thing like what's that what's your what's your writing life look like now i guess is the question i'm trying to trying to ask People like people have come to me to write. Uh, I 
I don't think I've ever like gone to someone else and be like, can I write for this? Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, I think that I, I've been very lucky to have like a broad range of, of different like publications within the design world, like allowing me to write like kind of different and like things with like different tones, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, I really like, like the opinion pieces I write for Curbed, I find really enjoyable to write. I think that, um, they're like serious and accessible and critical of, of like a, of a very different like world of architecture that is to say like consumer design, mm-hmm. design in the consumer realm, like HGTV, like consumer culture kind of, kind yeah. of criticism. And I think that that's like a timely thing that someone needs to do in a way that's not just like, I hate all these shows and they're so bad and it's so dumb and I'm so angry. But what, like, yeah. what do we really want in a house now? You know, what do we really, what really does home mean for us anymore? And the thing is, is that home, the concept of home has just been so commodified and it's been so focused on constant, like, renovation and, mm-hmm. which is just, like, essentially really, I, I have a huge problem with it. I just think it's, like, super wasteful. I would much rather ha- buy something and have it for a really long time than yeah. just, like, constantly, like, trade in every 10 years. Uh, I just don't, and I think most of it is unnecessary. Like we could do better. Um, and I, I mean, I, that's not a popular opinion. So you have to find some way to, to like make it palatable, I guess. <laughs> right. Palatable. Right. Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, I, my writing life, I do freelancing now, uh, like a few times a month. Okay. I and I like freelancing a lot. Kind of freelancing feels like it's taken the kind of spot that the essays for McMansion Hell used to take. Right. Um, and now that I now I do those for kind of like outside publications, which is just kind of a natural evolution of of those kinds of essays. There's still essays I'm going to write for McMansion Hell. Um, there's been one I've been working on for a long time about Kitsch, and it's a really kind of hard subject to broach. And mm. I've like written three different essays and have not been satisfied with any of them. And so I'm still like working that out. Sometimes the truth is, is that I'm just still working on it. And yeah, it's not, uh, it's just, if it's not to my like, I feel like Mc, the McMansion hell essay post like have to really be like poignant in a very concise way, which is poignant and concise are very difficult to reconcile. Yeah. And so like those, those have taken like a lot longer to write than they used to. I, I, I'm curious. I mean, you saying that I'm curious, like, do you, do you ever worry about, you know, I, that these other essays are starting to kind of go into other subjects and things, but do you ever worry about being known for this one thing that you're just the McMansion person now? And that, you know, not really. Okay. I think like, um, I think people do know me for that, but I think that that image is starting to evolve past like the McMansion and more in like in the, in the professional world, it's sort of evolved into like this person who's like disrupted this field. Um, and that's really like what the focus of like, when I get invited to speak on academic subjects, like, uh, it's like, you know, how did you like do this thing? What could we learn from it as a community? That's, it's really sort of been focused less on like that. I just make fun of McMansions and it's more that I'm just like this millennial child, uh, (laughs) like who's like emerged out of nowhere and like kind of like entered a field in a very like loud and disruptive way. And that, and now, like after like two, almost like you know like two over two years, now it's just starting to be accepted by like kind of like the high design world. Yeah. Uh, and so like, and now that they're kind of reconciling with that with that dis- sort of like disruptive nature of of what I was doing, and so I think that that's starting to evolve. And I think I'm starting to evolve into writing about things that are not just McMansions. I mean, the truth is, is that I'm a writer, and I just happen to write about architecture. Um, I think that primarily like I'm a writer and this is my chosen subject. Like some people write about politics forever mm-hmm. and ever and ever. Everyone's like, Oh, they're just like a, a writer. Uh, but you know, for me, like I, I write about architecture, but I feel like what cuts underneath all of that is, is culture. Mm. I think that like architecture is not, doesn't exist. And then that's a, a big problem with a lot of architecture writing in general is that architecture is not in a bubble away from like the rest of society. Yep. It's yep. not in a bubble away from like economics it's not in a bubble away from like everyday life. And I think yes. that like bringing those things back and focusing on them and using architecture as a lens to do so, I think is like a very cohesive vehicle for criticism. So for me, um, I, my, I'm in a transitional stage in my career where like things are starting to evolve. Like the McMansion, McMansion hell is always going to, to be changing and evolving. It's not the same as it was like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's a good thing. I definitely think that, you know, the support is still high. 
I think that the growth has tapered off a little bit mm. because I mean, there's only so much you could grow. Like when a hundred thousand right. people like follow what you do, like there's <laughs> like a, there's like a, there's a leveling off point. Yeah. Um, also the, the volume of posts slowed down when I was working on my graduate thesis because there was just no way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, and also after the election, things got so dark that it was really hard to keep <laughs> yeah. carry all the time. Yeah. Uh, but now, like, uh, the volume is about to go back up because I'm taking a break from traveling. Okay. Uh, I, every, everything happens in, like, this this time, like, August, September. It seems like right. every year is just, like, really, really heavy on, on stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I think that the my career is evolving. I think that, you know, I think McMansion Hell is dynamic enough to keep going. Uh, but I think that also I have like a foot in other places to, from which to like leap off into like the next stage when like McMansion Hell invariably, you right. know, well, it's, it's, you know, when, when something becomes an institution like that, it just becomes like background noise. It's like, it's like XKCD, right? It's like, <laughs> it was so popular for so yeah, long. Yeah. And now everyone just expects X, XKCD to get published. It's like not like the, it like, it's just like doing its thing like constantly, like it's like a serial, like, uh internet publication and McMansion Hill is kind of the same way. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the, that there's a, you know, it just, it's just become established is I think what it is. Yeah. Um, and when you become established, like that's good. It means that your income is steady and it means that, you know, that you'll have like a core base of people who support you, but it also gives you the stability to leap off into sort of new realms, yeah. uh, which I think is really exciting. So, um, so what's, I don't know. I, I agonize over this question. Like, what am I gonna? Where am I gonna be? Like, two years from now? Like, I have no idea. That's okay. terrifying. I mean, that was my. That was kind of my next question. I'm just gonna. I'll, I'll be honest. I was kind of curious. Do any of us know like what we're gonna be doing two years from now? Like, <laughs> no. That's why I. That's why I do this podcast so I can ask people who I think are smarter than me what's next for them, and then maybe I can better figure out what's next for me. I have no idea what's next. Honestly, I let, I'm just gonna keep writing as my job every day, and. It'll be that's it. That's my job. That's what I do. I'm yeah. like a writer. I I'm gonna be doing a book soon. Okay. Well, let so, me. Can Can you talk about that, or do you? Uh, it's still in the proposal stage. Okay. But it's a book about McMansions as a lens to examine American history and culture. So. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, I think that's gonna be great. Like all, so basically, my premise is that like from like day one of America, everything has been building up to the McMansion. Mm, nice. Nice. So that's kind of like the lens I'm looking at it. Through. Oh yeah, that sounds great. Let me ask. Let me ask you this question in another way. I have like two more questions. Um, yeah. But but let me ask the next. What's next for you? Question in a way that's a little bit more specific or or potentially more interesting. You know, because you are starting to write about other things, and you're talking about kind of writing about architecture as this lens. What are the other things that you're thinking about right now, or what are the other things that are on your mind that either you're kind of currently working through in pieces you're writing or things that you're observing and want to write about soon? So, um, there's some things I'm, I'm working on that are kind of like moving past, uh, that are not architectural topics. Like mm. so some of the, some like more like just general cultural criticism. Like I'm writing a piece about Instagram. Oh, nice. Uh, I won't go too much into it. Uh, but, uh, basically like Instagram and this and like the, in the function of nostalgia, Oh yeah, nice. um, which it's been written about before, but I'm writing from, from a slightly different angle. But it'll be it'll be interesting, uh, and so also like writing about uh, like doing more broader landscape writing, mm. uh, writing about like uh, the environment, uh, sort of like long form essays about uh, about those about grappling with with like an uncertain future. Um, there's there's more writing I think that's to be done about. Um, like current architecture, like there's still more criticism to be done in architecture, and I think that there's still more criticism to be done with like regards to consumer culture. Yeah. Um, that uh, will never really stop. That's like really, it's not like it's my bread and butter, but it's the thing that I feel right. the most passionate yeah. about, sure. Um, but you know, starting to write. Well, I started writing uh, like in my spare time when I get it. I've been starting to write fiction again. Right oh, now I'm nice. just writing like pretty aimlessly because I haven't done it in 10 years. I really haven't. I've been writing poetry like that's sort of what this place fiction for me. Mm. It's just like writing poetry in my spare time. But after I lost my computer last October, oh, yes. uh, like I lost all of my poetry. And so I felt like uprooted by that and haven't really written anymore since then. Uh, uh, and also I've just been so busy writing other things that I don't have time for like kind of joy writing. Right. But I started writing uh, some fiction again. And now I'm just it's just like aimless. I have like this idea of, like of a character 
and just like writing like aimless vignettes from like their life. Nice. Uh, just like getting practice, like writing. Yeah. Uh, writing again. And it's probably, it's like probably not good. I mean, I read it and like there are things in it that are like okay, but it feels kind of like woody and two dimensional because just like being so out of practice is a, uh, and also like I've, I've evolved a lot as a writer since I was in high school. Like when I was in high school, I was writing like, I was super influenced by like 19th century literature, like mm. early 20th century literature. So my stuff was like super wordy, super prosy, <laughs> super melodramatic. Yeah. And now it's like a little, a little more caustic, I think, and a little more sparse with words. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. My last question is, and this is a question that I ask everybody to kind of wrap up these these interviews and you've mentioned a lot of people already but I'm, I'm i would love to hear some of the authors or the the books or the the even the critics who have kind of really influenced your own point of view and how you think about the subjects that you're writing about or even how you think about how you should be writing or who, who are these people that you kind of turn to again and again I think that the most influential critic, critic like theory-wise and like politics-wise, on me is Frederick Jameson. Oh, nice. Um, I think that yeah, he's I definitely totally like see that, the now that you say that the the biggest influence on on a lot of like my perspective of uh, like especially like you know material culture. Yeah. Um. So I I think that that's like a huge that's a huge one. Um. So to a lesser extent, like Baudrillard too. Yep. Yep. Um, I think, of course, like on, on the architecture side, like Charles Jenks is, of course, extremely influential on the way that I think. Also, just like that period of architecture theory where semiotics was like a really heavy, mm-hmm. uh, played yeah, a really yeah. heavy role. It's like essentially like how I interface with things in McMansion Hell. Right. Um, so I, I think that, that yeah. you know, I definitely like never moved. Like people think that it's like new and exciting, but it's really just like postmodern. <laughs> it's not what they think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, um, I. I find like a lot of current architecture theory stale. I feel like for me, like semiotics was like the kind of apex of the way that architecture and philosophy like really were integrated in a way that went on beyond like more just like formal metaphors, Mm. like deconstruction for me, just in in the exercise of like architecture theory and like actual architecture, like Eisenman and like, and uh, Gary, like it's really just like a, like a formal metaphor for like a philosophy. It's like a form in search of a philosophy. It feels like, Whereas, like, I feel mm-hmm. like with semiotics, like, there was, like, a really strong, like, united That's interesting. Uh, yeah. integration of, of architecture and, and like, a, a, a syst- not just philosophy, but a system of philosophy. Uh, like, semiotics right. is a whole system of analysis that I think is very, very, very conducive to architectural analysis. But, I mean, and, uh, that's, like, some really heady stuff. Uh, as far as, like, other things, like, other, like, really big influences for me, um, I you know, grew up, uh, with, with, when the web was not all social media. Yep. Um, but there were some, of course, like early influences, like, like, of course, the, you know, the onion and cracked, like the classic oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, parody, parody one-liner website. Right. Uh, I think, you know, like when it comes to like actual form of like the jokes and stuff, I think like Twitter plays a huge role in, yeah. in the way that like the jokes work, especially like weird Twitter like drill has been like a, like a, a grammatical influence for like a pretty long time. Yep. Um, and I think that like, you know, actually I think that drill is like probably the most clever, like invent, like and most inventive prose writer in like recent <laughs> history. Uh, but I mean, as far as like humor, like I grew up reading Lemony Snicket. So that was oh, okay. a really yeah. huge, huge, huge part. My, I mean, growing up, like, I went to school out of district in middle for middle and high school because I'm like from a rural district, and then so this is far closer to town. And there's like a lot of rich people that I went to school with, and they were like really mean to me. So that was a big influence. Mm. Um, I think you know Mark Fisher plays a kind of oh, a role. Yeah. Um, definitely like that that set of like pop like political and cultural criticism has been really yeah uh, really influential on me. Like a like a left cultural criticism yep um the and of course the venturis have played a big role john brinkerhoff jackson vincent scully witzel brzezinski yeah, uh yeah. lots lots of people like witzel brzezinski like reading his 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 books in high school like he talks about architecture in a way that is like really warm and accessible and like yeah, lovely yeah. to read uh I, I read his new book about chairs which i enjoyed quite thoroughly oh, i haven't read uh, that one yet it's good it's good uh i definitely 
like it a lot. And he's kind of from like that generation of like Bill Bryson is kind of a similar mm-hmm. writer, mm-hmm. I guess, where it's just like like just really really like fun like but like like kind of like lighthearted like night like warm books that are just like really yeah. just like a, a joy to read. Vincent Scully makes me feel that way too. Like the Shingle Style today was like really a super important book for me. Yeah. Uh, American Architecture and Urbanism too was a really like the two Charles Jenks books like Late Modern Architecture and Post Modern Architecture are hugely like influential on the way that I think about uh, architectural analysis. Uh, complexity and contradiction to that whole idea of using literary analysis in an architectural way is like super, super, super mm-hmm. integral to the way that I yep. do things. Um, there's all kinds of like different like weird yeah. influences. That's on a me great. That I, it's yeah. like I have so many people I owe like thanks to <laughs> that it's hard for me to to like list them. Even they're just there's so many people whose whose writing is so important to me. And also I have like colleagues and contemporaries whose work I really really admire. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Alexandra Lang at yep. Curbed yeah, does really her. great, really great writing. Avery Shrufelman at Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. Kyle Chaka, yep. who uh, is uh, like yeah, whose work great. I really, really uh, admire a lot. People like kind of like my own age who yep. are. Uh, I guess Alexandra's a little older, but I mean people who are kind of in the same age range as me who are who are writing about similar things and whose work I like genuinely admire. Um, um so that, yeah and also paul, paul goldberger and mark oh, lamster yeah, yeah, yeah. and like uh and you know my my colleagues in architectural criticism i was sad when chris hawthorne left because i really liked him yeah he's great uh, i i so, just interviewed him recently yeah yeah i always thought he did a really good job of integrating urbanism and architecture in a way that wasn't like super wonky yeah um, yeah yeah he's great I'm so tired of like wonks, but <laughs> he was not a wonk. Yeah, that's that's what I liked about him, and I like Mark Lamster because I think he's like very clever and funny. Yeah, he is really um, funny. Inga Safran, of course, too. Yeah. Uh, Caroline Miranda, um, just like really, real. There's a really good crop of design writers right now. Yeah, um, and I think that design writing is like very much alive in a way that you know people like to always pretend that like architecture criticism or like design criticism is dead but it's so not though it's very alive it's just taken like different institutional forms right exactly exactly i think and you know what i i think that's like a great way to to wrap this up on that like kind of high note that i think you know you're 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 talking about all these contemporaries i think you're like very clearly a part of that group that's doing really interesting writing about these subjects right now i'm a, I'm a fan and i loved this conversation thank you so much for for being on the show yeah thank you this episode was recorded on september 26th 2018 our theme music is by andy borgasani we're on twitter and instagram at surface podcast you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratching the surface.fm thanks for listening